So I let go of this, I have to do everything mentality because I love to be the mom and the homemaker. It's part of who I am as well as being a business owner and doing the work that I love to do. This is the Credibility Coach Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build, grow and sustain a successful coaching business. All right, coach, are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Credibility Coach Podcast, episode number seven. My name is David Sargent. Wherever you are in the world, I hope that you and your coaching business are doing just fine. Well, it is literally a very warm welcome from here in the UK. We are having a heat wave at the moment. If you're listening in the future right now, I am actually recording this on the 23rd of June 2017 and here in the UK it has been hit in the heights of 34 degrees which is one of the hottest Junes on record to date and it is absolutely sweltering. I've even got air conditioning here in the studio so anyway, <laughs> today I'm joined by award-winning ICF master coach Jane Edsed Grant. Jane is a high-performing executive and mentor coach who works with team leaders, managers, directors and individuals across the world who want to progress in their corporate career. Today, Jane will be sharing some amazing insights, tips and advice with us on how she started out in her coaching business, how she went on to grow her business and how she tackled the challenges she faced along the way as she went from a 9 to 5 career in corporate HR to executive coach all while starting a family and navigating major changes to the industry. She's been a top, top performing coach for over 15 years and works with the likes of Deloitte, Rothschild and Sainsbury's as well as training coaches and business leaders who seek to develop others on a one-to-one basis. Now Jane is a client of mine and she's insightful, encouraging, confident, she communicates so well and is a great listener. But Jane also has a massive passion for self-development and continual learning and she always finds ways to achieve her own goals her family's goals and her clients' goals too. But just like any coach, it all sounds so swimmingly perfect. It hasn't always been plain sailing. And in today's open and honest episode, we get the chance to learn and explore these issues from a master coach, an ICF certified master coach, and so much more with Jane Ed said Grant. And as usual, guys, for all links and resources mentioned in today's episode, please simply head on over to credibilitycoach.com forward slash 007. Okay, let's get on with the show. Jane, welcome on to the Credibility Coach podcast. It's actually so great to have you. I'm so glad we've finally managed to schedule in the time to make this happen. I know that you're very, very busy. Thank you so much for inviting me, David. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And obviously, for full disclosure for everybody, you are one of my valued clients. We've worked together for quite a while now, which is why I was so keen to get you on, because not only is your progress in your marketing side really come on leaps and bounds, um, you know, you, you are a very, very good coach and you've also just become a master coach um, a master executive and mentor coach which is just an amazing achievement and it's been a bit of a whirlwind kind of couple of months for you hasn't it it has well bless you thank you for for that and you know it's something that I guess for me I've been working to for years and do you know it was it was funny because when I got the email through from the International Coach Federation saying congratulations you've you know achieved your master certified coach I I had to read the email about five times <laughs> thinking, are you serious? Is this it? Have it? Has it really come through? So it's, it's, yeah. But it's just an amazing achievement. And I suppose all 
all of them highs and all of them lows throughout your coaching career to date, it just kind of all makes it worth it, doesn't it, when things like that happen? Totally. Share share the love, Jane. Tell a little bit about yourself and your business. <laughs> okay. So I've been coaching for 15 years now, and my I guess my, my coaching practice falls into three areas, if you like. Um, executive coaching, as you've mentioned, which is where I work in the corporate environment, um, because that's where I you know, began my career many years ago. So executive coaching, I work with individuals who want to develop their leadership further, who want to become more effective in what they do, and typically those uh, corporate clients. I also work with private clients, those individuals who want to achieve more for themselves and perhaps be more fulfilled in the work that they do and who are really interested and keen in their own professional development. Essentially, what is it that you actually achieve for your clients? I had a client who earlier this year landed a £1 million contract, and he said to me, Jane, you know, that was directly in relation to the coaching we had. And what he meant by that was throughout our coaching conversations, he discovered um, the art of asking questions rather than just telling clients what he thought they wanted to know. So what I do is help clients develop their self-awareness and, you know, become more effective, if you like. And so they've landed their dream job. One guy, as I said, won this million pound contract. Another client has said to me, you know, it's been fantastic. It's really shifted my relationships with many of my colleagues. But, you know, the most stunning thing is, is that as a result of my work with you, I've discovered how to listen, listen better. And it's actually the, the relationship with my wife that has significantly approved so it's just, so it's not only in the workplace, for example, that you're actually making impact on them. It's actually at home as well in their private life. It's true. That's it. Because although I work in the corporate arena and the, the work that I do is really around supporting individuals in their corporate executive career, so progressing their career, when I'm coaching an individual, it's actually coaching the whole person. So it's about who you are as an individual and who do you want to become is really kind of the essence of the work that I do. And so naturally, uh, working with human beings, it, it does. It impacts their life. The, the audience, the listenership, listening right now on, on the podcast, are a very diverse bunch of coaches, should we say. We've got coaches that are at the very start of their careers and aspire to, to run a successful coaching business. And then we've got coaches like yourself, you know, who are established now at master level, what was you doing before you started coaching and how did you find yourself entering into this wonderful industry? Well, before I was a coach, I was in the corporate arena. So I began my career as a secretary and um, and really developed into, uh, into, well, from an, into HR and I became an HR director before I set up my coaching practice, which was at the point I also became a mum. So my, my corporate background was a combination of working within an international law firm and investment banking. So and why actually, on earth did you want to become a coach then if you've gone from working in that industry? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, it came at the point where I, I just got married and we knew that we wanted a family. And one of the things I was sure about, really sure about, was the mum that I wanted to be. Actually, that helped me a lot in terms of developing my practice in the sense that I knew that when I left the corporate environment, at that stage, I was a director of HR, I was traveling a lot. And my clients were front office, you know, and sort of international equities and then global IT. I was working really long hours, David. And I knew that I didn't want to sustain that in or do that and be the mum I wanted to be. I wanted to be very present for the children. I'm lucky enough to have two now. 
so so yeah so that whilst I changed moved into coaching was because I really loved working in the city I loved working in business and one of the things in my HR career that I had such passion for and it was so rewarding was facilitating the development of others. Yeah. For, you know, for example, I always had someone to fill my shoes. Whenever I left an organization or moved on to a role, there was always somebody that I had worked with who could then take on my role. And as I grew my teams and developed that, they were always seeing their progression and equally my clients, if you like, my business clients. And you just can't fake that sort of passion and interest. I think helping other people, you either want to do that and you enjoy doing that or you don't. I don't think that you can just say to yourself, I think I'll try that. I mean, you kind of have to wholeheartedly go into that. So you've uh, you've come out of this this career, this corporate career in HR. You know, you established that you wanted to be a coach. So what was it actually like when you took the leap? Can you recall like what it was like actually starting your coaching business from scratch? Like, you know, literally bare bones. Did you have clients lined up before you jumped or, or did you literally just do it from, from scratch? It was tough, David, actually. It was tough because I had come out of an environment where I knew what I was doing. I had a great team around me. And during my maternity leave, and in, in fact, actually, whilst I was still working, I began my coach training. So I did an NLP practitioner course and a master practitioner. So I came back from maternity when my first little one was seven months old. And I was lucky enough to be approached by one of my suppliers who was a, a human resources capital management organization. So basically, they specialized in outplacement, helping people transition from you know restructures or having been made redundant. And they asked me if I'd be one of the outplacement consultants. This organization contacted me and said, hey, would you do this? And I said, that would be great. So I began my coaching career in the outplacement ways, helping individuals in terms of their CV preparation, preparing them for interviews. But you know, the funny thing was that after about a year, the clients I was meeting, and of course, this was, you know, early 2000s. So um, there were huge restructures going on in the city at that time. And so I had, you know, loads and loads of clients. And, but the funny thing was, is I was having a different type of conversation with clients. It wasn't just about getting their, in, uh, their CV ready and uh, thinking about what they would do next. The conversations were much deeper. And I became really curious. And I thought, do you know what? I want to get better at this and I want to be professionally qualified. So I then took on uh, my first coaching, uh, formal coach training, which was with ITS. And it was following on from my NLP day. So I uh, became a certified NLP coach. And that really began to shift my practice because I was attracting a different type of client. And soon after that, the organization I worked for developed and opened up their board and executive coaching team. And I was lucky enough to be one of three, I think, coaches that was invited to join that uh, from the internal pool. You had people around you that acknowledged you, thought highly of you, and then mentioned your name to some of the right people. Totally. <laughs> Which, and again, think... you know, most coaches, especially at the beginning, find it tough to get their first set of clients. But we all often find that once we do get one, two or three good clients, that then the referrals and then it come in and then it grows organically. And that was exactly it. And I think for me, one of the biggest jumps, if you like, into building my coach practice was that associate relationship. And it wasn't just them. I worked with two or three very different organizations because I couldn't compete, but but I was very lucky enough to meet some fantastic people, some of which I trained with, for example, who invited me to join their, um, their new coaching practice. So I've been very blessed to, to work with a number of 
associates. So I was an associate for them, if you like. Basically, people saw you as a credible person, somebody that knew what they were talking about, put other people's interests first and saw that you actually provided value. They, the fact that you were an expert in that topic was kind of secondary. It was actually about you as the person and how people perceived you. You could say that, yeah. So let's, let's go on and talk a little bit then about first months, the first year or two of your coaching business. Now, we all have our highs and our lows, and especially in the first year, it, it can be very um, turbulent, should we say, ups and downs. And what's, what's been the biggest challenge or low point that you've had? I've been in the business for 15 years, and as I look back, I feel very lucky that I'm still in it because it's changed enormously since I became a coach. And what I mean by that is I was at the ICF conference only earlier this year. The number of coaches that have joined the market has more than doubled in the last 10 years. And so I think the market's changed significantly. But I think the the challenges for me was, first of all, when I started, it was this whole managing me being a mum, as well as developing a coaching practice. And also, I went on to um, do a postgrad diploma in psychological coaching. It was the natural next thing for me in terms of I loved what I was doing. And I, and yet I felt I wanted more to understand more about the way we as human beings work. And, and that was a two year program. And that was really full on. And equally, my husband had a busy executive job, and he was traveling lots. So there were many times, David, when I kid you not, you know, I was exhausted. And um, you know, if the kids were ill, and I didn't sleep well to get up the next day and, you know, be there for my clients. And, and, and did you think that it was the pressures you were putting on yourself that made you feel exhausted or was it would you attribute that down to actually the role that you were playing as the coach and the mum of course (laughs) that's a great question well you know in hindsight as a coach when you're training to be a coach you learn so much about yourself and for sure I put I put high expectations on myself and I strive to be the very best that I can be to really master my craft and to be the best mum that I can be. Yeah, I wanted everything to be perfect. (laughs) I I think that's a a quality that is good and bad for us. Sometimes we can want to be too perfect, which ultimately means we don't actually achieve anything. But at the same time, it's also a mindset, I think. If you just accept that sometimes things can be good enough, we can sometimes free ourselves of that burden and say, right, you know, good enough gets results. It's like one of my favourite sayings, because I too have been there. And I still have it now. It kind of creeps in. I think you and I were discussing this just the other day about having to make things perfect. Do you, do you still find that you experience that now, even these years later after setting out on your coaching journey? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'd love to say I've got it all sussed, but I haven't. You know, there are still times when, you know, a bit like I said at the beginning, I couldn't quite believe it when I got my master accreditation through. Um, yeah, I've worked for it. And I think... I think it's that I that I I guess I am driven to to be the very best in the sense that I I love to contribute. I want to be yeah to strive for you know being the best that I can. It, but I think it's also I'm I have discovered and learned about you know what's real and managing my expectations. And absolutely, this whole point about mindset has been a huge learning for me and been really helpful. So I'm I've got much, much better at being more realistic. Um, cause I, I like having high expectations, you know, um, striving for things. Yeah, but at the same it's, time, it's important, isn't it? To have that yeah. drive. Yeah, for sure. It's so, got me where I am today for sure. So Jane, thanks for sharing that. So when, when you were in this moment 
you know, you're a new mum, your husband's away a lot, you've taken on this new role of a coach, you know, people are looking to you to mm-hmm. support them, to help them through their challenges. How did you actually go about um, overcoming it? So you said you were exhausted and you have all these different pressures and your life's taking this new direction. It's quite overwhelming. How did you actually go, okay, I need to sort this out? And how, how did you uh, fix that? A couple of things, really. Well, first of all, I began to open up a bit more with to my husband. So I used to think, do you know what? He's had such a busy day, really stressful. The last thing he wants to know is to hear about geez, I've had a tough day with the girls or something's not worked out well at school for them. And guess what? You know, my client had a nightmare client today. And so I used to think, no, no, let me, you know, let's, we always used, we, you know, talk when we come home of an evening and share each other's days. It's lovely to sort of have that opportunity to do so. And then I began to realize, you know, and then, but however, I kind of just got exhausted or, you know, sometimes I literally be in tears saying, oh my God, what am I doing? And he'd say, well, tell me, Jane, I can't, I can't help you if you don't tell me. I can't read your mind. And that was a real turning point, actually, in our relationship, as well as my capacity to ask for help. So I began to share more of, you know, when things were tough for me, rather than holding it all. You know, I used to wear and still do many, many hats, not just the coach, the mum, the wife, uh, the teacher, the mentor. And the business owner, right? And the business owner, for sure. (laughs) I think that was the first thing. And the second thing was, you know, actually asking for help. Um, so I'm, I have a cleaner, which is fantastic. And I remember having many, well, not a conversation that went on for quite some time in order to outsource the ironing. And I said, I can't do that, Ed. Come on. You know, I really can't do that. He goes, Jane, you can spend two hours ironing these shirts tonight or you can, you know, read the book you're desperate to read for yourself or do something for you. So again, he came to the rescue in a way, but, you know, really encouraged me. So I let go of this, I have to do everything mentality because I love to be the mom and the homemaker. It's part of who I am as well as being a business owner and doing the work that I love to do. So I love to serve both, if you like. It's, as, it's important for me to nurture and create the home life that we have as well as doing the work that I do. You've been a coach now 15 years, as I said uh, previously, that you are now a master executive and mentor coach, which is a fantastic achievement. Your career has been building up to not just this title, but this experience and obviously creating this, this better life for yourself and, and your two daughters and your husband, etc. But what was what was the real takeoff moment in your coaching business? Where did it go from, and I'm just going to coin a phrase here, the struggling mum as a coach and wife, where did it go from that to actually becoming a a successful coach? Well, you know, I'm wondering if there was any one moment, and I suppose there is actually, because I was thinking about it. I've been so fortunate that my coaching practice has grown year on year. I suppose the turning point was when my youngest started secondary school, because at that point I made the decision to extend my business. Because up until that point, I had run my business in in the sort of confounds of, you know, the children and schooling and, and, you know, we had nursery, then I went through the nanny route, and then they got too old for a nanny. So I was back on school run duties. So, you know, my work was curtailed. And of course, with Ed traveling so much, the thing that I always wanted was to be at home when he was abroad. So there's quite a lot of coaching opportunities in business that I turned down, because I wanted to be home for when the children got back to school. And the moment Hannah went to secondary school, they got the bus to school. So my day 
grew by three hours. They leave at uh, 7.30 and they get home about six. So suddenly I had, you know, a lot more time in the day. But what I actually did was two things. I think one was one of the transformations in my coaching practice was coming across the thinking environment, this wonderful work that's pioneered by Nancy Klein. And throughout my coach training, I had discovered through NLP the power of language and our mindset. And I've always been fascinated by language, what it does to us and others in how we select the words that we use and how we program our mind to either help us or hinder us. And then my postgrad in psychological coaching helped me understand the relationship between our thinking and our emotions, our physiology. But what I didn't know was how to help other people think well for themselves, to think independently. And it was actually when I became familiar with Nancy Klein's work that I became fascinated. It transformed me seriously, David, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as a daughter, as a sister. And actually also my coaching practice, because the conversations I was having with my clients went to a new level. And that transformed my coaching business in terms of attracting more and a different uh, clients who wanted to go further. And also I fell in love with it so much so that I wanted to share what I discovered with other coaches and leaders in business. So I went on to become a accredited facilitator and teacher of the thinking environment, which opened up my business to not only being an executive coach and mentor, but also trainer. So I now teach other coaches who want to develop their coaching and specifically in the thinking environment. And that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, even within the coaching remit, it's not just still about helping your clients, it's actually about helping your peers too. Mm. And, you know, that's just a testament to how you are, Jane. I think everybody feels deep down that they've got a lot to give back. You know, people always seem to wait until they... (laughs) in quotations, they're a successful coach before they start giving back or a successful business owner before they start giving back. When really, you know, if you have the mindset that you're going to give back at the earliest point you can, that also stands your business in good stead. Because again, it's all about network reach. And if people are, you know, if you're helping other coaches, not just executive coaches, but you're actually giving value to other coaches too, people from your coaching circle is also going to refer into you as well. Absolutely. And I'm blessed the fact that they do. Yeah, exactly. So so thanks for sharing all of that. So after the this, this takeoff moment in your business, what happened? Like, How did you identify that things were turning for you and it, the business was growing? Like, What were your key indicators? Obviously, there's revenue levels, but what did you notice had changed? People began to ask me to uh, contribute to their events. So I was invited to speak at corporate events, to speak at conferences. That really, I think, also helped. And actually, at that moment, I thought, okay, ah, again, true to form, am I good enough to do this? So I invested in and joined Toastmasters and over the two years completed their their competent communicator and competent leadership programs, which I have to say was fantastic and was fundamental in helping me in terms of my own confidence, being able to stand up in, uh, at a conference and, and, and uh, you know, deliver a speech or run a workshop in that bigger environment. How did you feel when you were being asked? And also, how did you feel when you stepped up onto stage to actually start delivering this? <laughs> well, when I was asked, combination, I was really flattered, actually. <laughs> and secondly, terrified. Yeah, I got myself a um, presentation coach and worked with a wonderful coach Jane Constantinus who helped me really craft and choreograph my speech 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was brilliant. So that really, really helped. And then actually on the day, I, I do, I get really nervous before I start these big things. But as soon as I get into it and I look at the audience and I think about them and I get the sort of response from their faces, I just love it. I just get that connection with them. And I just think, do you know what? I'm delighted to share what I've discovered. And I, I hope it will be useful for you. And I really enjoy it. So what advice would you have for coaches listening right now that maybe have a little bit of anxiety around getting up and doing workshops? Because I work with a lot of coaches that use event marketing as the top of their sales funnel. They use that to get people in to to, to prove their, their expertise, to build the trust with people, and then hopefully convert them into at least a consultation where they, they can get a one-on-one to, to bring them on as a client. What What would you say your key learnings were from from that and and what advice would you give them about specifically speaking at events so I think first of all it's know your audience you know understand what do they know already about your topic and what are they interested to learn more about I think secondly is to know that you're there for them so it's not about you it is about you know what is it that you want them to take away from your interaction with you and how do you want them to feel do you want them to feel inspired do you want them to be moved to take action it's about the way to kind of relax yourself before you go on and and speak at these events is by having basically done the groundwork before the preparation so you when you go on you're absolutely confident that you know what you're going to say totally that preparation for me is absolutely key and I think when you've done that preparation, you've invested that time. And it's also know your stuff, you know, in terms of master your craft, as I said in my first um, ebook that I wrote around success, don't chase success, let success chase you, is, is, yeah, master your craft so that you do feel confident and that you, you talk, David, about credibility. I think that's really important that people see and recognize you as, as credible in your field. This is the part of the podcast where people just go nuts for. I've had messages, I've had emails, I've had comments on social media asking about this topic. And this is your marketing and how you get coaching clients. As you know, we were just discussing this the other day over a coffee. You were at a recent event and the number one question in the room was, Jane? How do I get a coaching client? (laughs) So... How do you get coaching clients, Jane, at said grant? Yeah, and it's true, David, everywhere I go. And you know what? It's still the question for me. You know, despite having been in this business for a number of years, it's still my number one question. And I'm always looking for ways to do it. So how do I do it? Well, I was very fortunate in my early years, a lot of my work, and it still does. I would say 90% of my work comes through referrals. Can't scale that. And one of the things that I set out to do three years ago was I wanted to reach a wider audience because I loved what I was doing having you know some great success and where my clients were having the success and I was only dealing at the very senior level of organizations I wanted to get to the next level down to win more coaching clients at the sort of managerial level and so I went online and I developed an online platform so today the way I get clients is a combination of referrals and one thing I would say to uh, listeners listening in today is to actually ask for them when you've finished working with a client who you know has done some great work together And, you know, they're on a high and you are too as their coach. And not to be shy and saying to people, you know, actually, I'm, you know, relatively small business. And the way that I um, grow my business and to get business is to ask referrals. So if you found our work together useful, you know, I'd be really grateful if you would let other people know and to contact me. Ultimately, we're in business and ultimately a business needs money and we need money. That's why we're doing it. And there's no shame in 
saying that at all and there's no shame in thinking that obviously you, you go about your business in a tactful tasteful and classy way but ultimately we need business so there comes a point where you have to ask for it isn't it absolutely referrals fantastic way but you said it's 90 percent. so where would you say that other 10 percent has has come in for you well, it's probably shifting now um, because my business changed. You know, I spoke earlier about the fact that um, 90% of my work was through my associate relationships. That's where it was when I started 15 years ago. But I always held the vision in my mind that I want that to reverse, whereas 90% of my clients come from, direct to me from, from my business. And I'm lucky enough to say that three years ago, that's what happened. So it took a long time to get there, guys. <laughs> and, and how did that um, happen? How did that come about, Jane? So I think it is, you know, it is growing in the marketplace. It's continuing to master my craft, uh, continuing my journey of my professional development, networking. I regularly still do go to conferences and events my, where my clients are at. And so that's another thing I really recommend is go to where your clients are. I go to women in business conferences. I've been to the IOD senior leadership conferences. Only this week, I was at um, Voice at the Table, wonderful conference, which is all about um, ordinary people achieving extraordinary things. And I met some fantastic people. I was invited to the Financial Services Club networking evening about digital banking the other night. And, you know, I met a couple of people there, for example, and I didn't expect to, to be honest. So, you know, put yourself out there. And that has is really beginning to um, help me afresh in terms of winning new clients. And I think the last thing is, I'm sure we'll come on to David, but is, you know, social media. So I'm now embarking on this journey of being present online and really getting to grips with how do you, you know, get clients through social media. And that perfectly leads on to the next question that I had for you, Jane. Um, <laughs> and it's how you use social media now. We're connected on LinkedIn and on Facebook and stuff. And I'm consistently seeing you popping up in my timeline. Not only are you obviously creating really good content, but you're also building a community, aren't you? Yeah, well, it's taken a little while. And it's been I mean, that's been one of my challenges is learning this whole social media world. And boy, it's been a journey and a half and talk about ups and ups and downs, highs and lows, you know. Um, so what I've done so far is I have a LinkedIn profile, and I continually update that actually. So that's something it's not stagnant. And I uh, beginning more to actually only recently sort of be more proactive with my network in, in LinkedIn, but because actually up until now I've perhaps used more Facebook. And so I have my uh, business page, if you like, at Jane Adsa Grant, and I engage with people who follow my page. But what I did earlier this year was to set up a Facebook group. So people who are specifically interested in developing their personal leadership and coaching skills. And so that has grown phenomenally. I think I have over 500 people now in this group and that is really fun. This Facebook group is a, is a way of giving back as well. It's about me delivering content that the group and the people in that want to discover and learn more about. So that's becoming um, a good place to, to, to network. And actually in that group, there are times when I do share with people what I'm doing and what programs I'm running. So people can, can join in if they'd like to. That didn't just happen for you, clearly, and it's not just going to happen at the flick of a switch for other coaches listening right now. Could you just talk us through a little bit how that community came about and how you've managed to grow it to 500 people? 
Yeah, so I wanted to have more engagement and I'm still learning how to engage on social media. Now, it's got 500 people, but don't believe for a second that I have 500 people engaging with me every day, far from it. Mm. Um, and so it's not easy and it requires work. I started it and I invited people I knew. So people who were already in my network, who were already on my business Facebook page. So that's how it started. And then I used Facebook ads to invite people in. And I ran an ad, I, honestly, for no more than two weeks. And I got a lot of people invited. A lot of people join. But they how always, much did you spend approximately in them two weeks? Can you remember? I remember now. It was about £300. Okay. So you spent, say, £150 a week. Yeah. Well, do you know, it generated about 500 because it went up to 800 But I realized that there were quite a few people in the group that weren't engaging and they weren't the right kind of people in terms of, I had a lot of marketers getting into the group. And I think they were hoping that they could use this group in order to market their products and services. But right. I made that clear that this isn't what the purpose of the group. This group is about learning. It's about sharing knowledge. And so I did a little bit of a whittling down. So I reduced the numbers back down again. And I asked people, I put the note out saying, hey, guys, in fact, I rebranded the group because I began, the group began as an effective communications group. And then I thought, actually, I do more than that. And I'm also curious, because I'm learning so much from them and, and stuff that I put in the group. And the reason I love putting it together is because I learn as I put it together. And so I rebranded the group and I said, look, guys, if you still want to be in this group, just let me know. And I got, you know, hundreds of replies saying, yes, 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 yes. Um, and those that hadn't engaged at all since they joined, I mean, it was a laborious task, but I did. I started to, you know, take them out of the group because there was no point. It was, you know, it wasn't really serving anybody. <laughs> I think you've made a valid point, though, as well, that it's all very well starting these groups. But if you're going to open the doors, you've got to make sure that you're opening it to the right people. And, and just, just on that, and I just want to briefly mention that everything that we're discussing today, and I'm going to link to the resources in the show notes at credibilitycoach.com forward slash podcast. So head over there to get links to the great people that Jane's mentioned that she's worked with, links to Jane's resources in her Facebook group, etc., and anything else that we're going to mention. But I will just say, Jane, as well, um, for you and, and for the people listening, that Facebook in the last, as we record this on the 23rd of June, 2017, Mark Zuckerberg has just um, announced hot off the press that there's going to be, Facebook are going to be releasing brand new tools just for Facebook group um, ad administrators or managers. So they're going to be bringing out insights so we can see data on people who's engaging, etc. They're going to introduce post scheduling now into Facebook groups, uh, membership request filtering. So you can add your own filters in, They've already released, um, you can gate the entrance now, so you can have three questions, up to three questions that they answer. So, for example, on the Credibility Coach Facebook group, um, which is about marketing leadership, I've got three questions. What type of coach are you? What's your biggest pain point in marketing and your location? I think they are. And that's really helping me to manage the manage the members coming in. And if people don't answer them questions, then they get a reminder to answer them. And then if they still don't, then they don't come into the group. They're also bringing out tools so you can clean up members that are inactive or, or have left. And so you want to get rid of their content. And you can also link to groups now. So group to group linking. So say you've got subgroups or related groups to your main core group of people, you can now link the two so people can kind of, I suppose, walk easily between the groups as if you like. So Facebook are really heavily investing time and, and resources into creating new features for groups. And Jane, I'm sure, you know, obviously you've been doing the group thing for a long time too. 
and it, it can be quite a lot to manage, can't it? Yes, it, it can. <laughs> so I think for me, it's about getting the right people in the group, those who want to be there and who want to engage. What have you tried with your marketing, Jane, that hasn't necessarily worked out for you? What I learned and what's really helping me now is that I think, I mean, I get people daily, like many people do, people wanting to connect with me on a daily basis. And I don't connect with everybody, but I have a look at their profile. And then when they do, I think, oh, I can see, you know, why they've come to me. But I'll always respond to that connection request in saying, hey, thanks for connecting. I wonder what it was in my profile that stood out for you. And, you know, let me know if there's anything that you'd like to to follow up on. And so I begin a little bit of an engagement with them. So I suppose in terms of what I used, what didn't used to work for me was just allowing LinkedIn to just, you know, not do much for me. Yeah, that's a valid point, isn't it? We, we often forget that social media is actually social. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just about one-way streets. It's not just about putting content out and hoping that people are going to like it or just build it and they will come. Jane, what, what advice do you have for, for any coaches listening right now that are struggling to find coaching clients? So get a great marketing coach. Um, especially if you're in wanting to move into the social media online marketing, I could not, my business has, and my marketing, my presence online has catapulted since I've worked with you actually, David. Um, and I think that what I've benefited from in working with you is just giving me more confidence because I found it really difficult to know how to engage online because I was brought up in a very professional environment and it's taken me a while to get used to how I adapt my language and being someone who's really interested in language. You know, I was always very used to, dear David, thank you for this. And um, <laughs> yours sincerely, Jane, you know, whereas now it's kind of, hi, David, you know, as you said, it's social. And so, but it took me a while to get my head around that. But also there's quite, there is a bit of technical stuff that goes behind this social media. So I think really getting help on that. I've sat on many, many, in fact, well, I don't know how many online programs to learn myself about getting online and being online and developing a program online. Um, so, so I think having help with that would be really good. I think really being clear on who your target market is. So get super clear on who you're talking to when you go to social media. So what I like to, when I'm writing a blog post, I have somebody in mind and I'll always ask my clients, so what are the key things that you're uh, struggling with at the minute? And that gives me my subject matter so then I'll write a blog um in, so in response basically having that key understanding of who who you are as a coach what you offer but also how you meet the challenges and pain points of your target market exactly yeah and I speak to a lot of coaches the one thing that comes up time and time again is that people are not fully understanding and taking the time or investing to not only understand how marketing works properly but actually understanding their identity and who it is they're actually targeting. Once you understand who it is that you're targeting and what their main challenges are, you can then start crafting content, putting videos out, even just having much more substantial conversations with people because you've tapped in to literally that person's life, their heartbeat, their soul almost. You get them totally. And if we don't do that, we then try to just blag it, I suppose. And then we start to say, right, okay, I help everybody with a business or I help everybody who's going through a midlife crisis or I help everybody who wants to get a promotion. And then we start to realize quickly, actually, do you know what? I'm getting nowhere fast. Did, did you ever find that? Did you ever go for a stage in your business, Jane, where 
you felt a bit out of touch with who it was that you were trying to target? <laughs> totally. <laughs> Oh, and I'm actually really confused. And I have to say, you know, being kind of in the online space uh, now for three years, it's I'm only just getting that clarity, you know, after some rigorous challenges with you and uh, exercises to create my sort of avatar, ideal client. So really investing the time to think about who those are. And I'm just getting, you know, I feel that I feel now I've got that. When in my executive coaching, working in the corporate environment, I'm that was much easier because you know it's it's the world I'm working in it's bankers lawyers and consultants and that's how I grew up and I really understand them and their world now I'm opening myself up to a much wider audience so really honing in on that has been challenging and I did think oh but I found with the tools and getting really clear has been invaluable Because you've gone through quite a big transition lately. Obviously, you still do your coaching. You're, you're in person, you're face-to-face, and you're online coaching, etc. But you've also been shifting over massively to create online programs. Talk us through that a little bit more and what your, your mindset was behind that. So, yeah. So, as you know, David, in fact, three years ago, I had this vision to uh, reach more people. And I, the way to do that for me was to go online because up until that point, predominantly, I had been doing one-to-one face-to-face coaching. And so I embarked on this journey and boy, was I naive. You know, I thought to myself, yeah, I get my website up, put a few blog posts, develop a program and people will just love it and they'll be signing up. Three years later, I have, you know, really excited that I, that I have an online platform and that has really helped me because all the blog posts I use, I often share those with my clients after a coaching session. It's been a fantastic resource because my blog posts are really supporting individuals in their leadership and their coaching skills to develop further. So they're all very relevant. What's the name of your online program, Jane? So my new online program is How to Be Your Best and Get the Best from Others. And what does that consist of? It's really helping people who are at that team leader level and want to progress to senior manager, director level. And it's providing the skills and way of being, not just what you do, but the way of being as a leader to really stand out and to become an outstanding leader. And I share on that program, it's a 12-week program with eight modules, covering and developing, if you like, the coach approach to leadership. How would you describe the experience of from having the idea to actually bringing it to life? How would you describe that? Like, you know, a lot of coaches are thinking about, I'd love to have an online program, whether that's on Udemy or my own platform or hosted online somewhere else that I could just sell. It's like, in quotations, now I hate this word, but passive income. There's no such thing in my opinion. I think it's hands-off income, but you still actually have to be involved at some point. It's not completely passive. But how, how would you describe that whole experience and that process that you've been through to bring it to life? Harder than I thought, David. I loved putting the program together in terms of the content and because it's what I do. And I really enjoyed that. But I started from scratch. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, very basic things like my program consists of video tutorials and creating workbooks and goals and uh, sort of checklists to fill in. So actually understanding what's involved in putting an online program together was a big learning for me. And more than I thought, I found putting the, so the process of putting the program together was fun. I learned a lot um, and I relearned. So I, you know, started out recording stuff and then I came across someone's podcast and 
Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, that I I now realise I should have recorded it in widescreen, not just regular. And hey, that made all the difference to me. And Miss Perfection came out thinking, oh my god, I've got to re-record all my stuff. So putting the program together actually was a challenge for me because I was running my business, being the mum I was wanting to be, doing these speaking engagements and attending, you know, my evening, uh, whether it be a networking event or a coaching group or whatever. My week was already full, and so I had to find time to record this stuff. And actually that in itself was a challenge because I get ready, you know, everyone was out at the house, lovely. And I'd be set myself down, ready to record. And then next door's dog would start barking or the doorbell would go. So, you know, and I said, oh no. So I had to re-record stuff, you know, time and time again. So once I got the program up and running and then I thought, great, this is fab. Now everyone's going to come flooding. How wrong was I? The reasons why I, you know, began working with you, David, was just so uh, eye-opening into, you know, overcoming my naivety around, you know, building trust online. And the relationship online is so different to when you meet someone in the street. And, and actually, well, I say it's different. It shouldn't be any different. You treat treating them in the same way. I don't just sort of say, oh, hi, here's my program. Would you like it? It's like, oh, hi, how are you? What, you know, where do you work? And what are the key things that you're involved in? Oh, lovely to meet with you. And we meet again, and we meet again, and we meet again. And, and then, you know, three or fourth or fifth time later, it's like, oh, I have something that might be useful for you. You know, it's that whole building trust. Yeah, through... it's the pace. It's the pace at which a relationship develops. Yeah. So in the street, if you bump into somebody or you're at an event and you're talking to somebody, you can very, very quickly build the trust with somebody. Like you could have a conversation maybe over a coffee for 15 minutes and do business. Um, online, it's very different. You don't necessarily get that opportunity straight out of the blocks, which is why going offline with your marketing is still so, so important to your business. And I would never, ever suggest to substitute it. However, I will say this, using video and audio, like now, we, you know, we are going directly into somebody's ears through their headphones right now or in their car or while they're laying in bed or on holiday, which is a very intimate thing to be doing for that person. Hello right now, if you're reading your book on your sun lounger, I'm not jealous at all. So <laughs> it's about building that trust and getting access to their brain and, and building that credibility, that proving your expertise, building your trust. You use video great. You don't just use it in a paid environment with your programs, Jane. You actually use videos all the time on social media, don't you? I do. Yeah, posting in my group. And what, what sort of content are you creating? Because, again, a massive question comes up about is, I would love to use video and I'd love to get involved um, in that more, but I'm really nervous about it or I don't know what content to, to even produce. So where did you start with it? That's a great question. And actually, you know, I asked my group, I did a little poll and said, you know, what are the key things that are keeping you awake at night? Or, you know, what would you like to learn more about? So I asked my group and my current uh, coaching clients, you know, I find that there are themes that emerge. And so I post, you know, what it is that my clients and my group members ask for. Awesome. And how did you find actually picking up your, your smartphone and just doing video? Yeah, well, I've tried different things. I've done it on my smartphone. I bought a, a decent camera. And, you know, if you were to look back at my first videos on my YouTube channel, something, you know, you know, they're pretty shocking. And I'm still learning about this stuff, David, and, you know, to get the lighting right. And, and again, you know, Miss Perfect saying, oh, no, that's not good enough. So sometimes I would do, you know, several takes before it was good enough. But actually, I'm getting better at just being who I am. And the other day I did one whilst I was waiting for a client, I was literally in the city, sat outside, 
uh, had, you know, people having their lunch break either side of me. And someone had asked me about habits, creating more impactful habits. How do you do that? And how do you sustain them? So, you know, that's a key part of developing ourselves and uh, personal leadership and effectiveness. So I just got my phone out literally and said, you know, hi, this is, you know, some key topic that you've asked about today. Let me share with you just three key things that I hope will be useful around sustaining a habit. Number one, you know, choose what it is that you want to, to change for yourself. Be really committed to that for yourself. Number two, think about some triggers that will really help trigger you in, you know, sustaining and, and implementing this habit. And develop. And number three is develop the, the muscle, if you like, of self-discipline. Knowing so you're, you're going to need that. To- you're, you're, give, you're deliberately giving content that you know they're going to enjoy, content that you know that you are well-equipped to deliver, but ultimately you're just getting on with it. Just you're doing just it. putting it out there. Like It's not your problem if people don't like it, but what you're doing is you're putting stuff out that you know your target market will like. So the people that don't like it or are not interested are probably not going to be your your client but the people that are and that's all that matters are going to be the people that are going to watch that and engage with it and the, the, the difference is people need to get it out of their mindset that if they haven't got 200 likes or 200 comments or 50 leads from a video or from an email that they're fouled it's not i would sooner rather have one person like it one person comment and book in a call with me and that's all the traction that bit of content got than i would have 200 likes but no business from it me too and that's the point, isn't it? You just don't know who's watching. So thanks for sharing that, Jane. I really appreciate it. Now, you've been a coach for 15 years. How the heck are you staying motivated and driven to still be on top of your game after being a coach for 15 years? I love what I do. And it's a part of who I am, David. You know, I feel that it's it's not work. It's how I choose to spend my time. I have some fantastic clients. I guess the thing that motivates me so much is that when as a coach, I learn so much. So not only am I contributing, and I guess that's one of my key drivers is to contribute to add value to another person's life. And I know that sounds a bit cliche, we all love to add value to other people's lives. But actually, for me, that is a real driver. And, you know, David, feeling, for example, when someone says to you, because of you, my relationships with my wife have significantly improved. Mm. Or, because of you, I've just landed that six-figure salary job that I wouldn't have done because I wouldn't have been able to articulate who I am and where I contribute. I'm motivated because it's an incredibly rewarding thing to do. And how are you continually improving yourself as well? Like, you know, you're, I know you're now a master coach, you've become accredited, which is absolutely fantastic, but is it going to stop there for you or are you going to continue going on and improving and how, how do you do that? Well, you know me well enough to know that, of course, it doesn't stop there. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, for me, I'm learning every day, but I do invest in my own professional development continually. And that is through going to conferences, through, and um, I love reading everything about my topic and my passion of coaching and leadership and helping people to live a more fulfilled life in their working environment. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to have been offered a scholarship to go to the States in July, for example, and it's I've given up half my holiday to go, but it was a no-brainer because, you know, I did have to give it half an hour thought. Do I give up a week holiday with my family or do I take this opportunity? And it's like, this is a, an amazing opportunity for me. So it's continually learning and, you know, even just being credited. One of the things, the reason I became a mentor coach was because 
mentoring other coaches who want to become accredited and develop their confidence in their skills and practice as a coach is a great way for me to stay sharp and on top of my game. So as, that's, well as, as well as giving back at the same time. Indeed. Massively. And I know that's a massive part of, of you know, you as Jane is giving back and um, it's, it's an amazing quality to have. How, how do you stay focused? Do you have like your own coach or mentor? Absolutely. I have a mentor, a supervisor and a coach. <laughs> the different things actually, and I use them very differently. So my supervisor helps me with my coaching practice if I have any difficult client scenarios and to really reflect on my own practice. Who am I being as a coach? How do I you know, continue my journey of mastery. You know, it's it's not an ending just because I've got that. It doesn't mean I've stopped. It's absolutely not. My mentor helps me specifically on continuing to master my skills and thinking about, you know, how do you contract with a client who doesn't want to think for themselves and challenge me, is that the right client for you? And how might you work with them in a different way? So very specifically on coaching skills. And my coach Right now, I'm, you know, working with you as my coach and having a fantastic experience as really helping me develop my business from the marketing perspective. Um, previously, last year, I was working with a high performance coach to help me in terms of myself as a business owner and develop myself from that perspective. Okay, Jane, this is the lightning round. So these are very quick fire answers. So I'm going mm-hmm. to shoot some questions at you. I just want you to go with your gut reaction to the answer to the question, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. So here we go. So what was holding you back from growing your coaching business? Mindset. Lack of believing in myself. And what is the best advice you've ever received about coaching? Master your craft. And do you have a tool or a resource like Evernote that you want to share with our listeners right now? Yeah, Evernote. It's invaluable. <laughs> I love it. I When I'm on the train, everything, things come my my head. I write all my draft blog posts and capture ideas. Evernote, I love. Camtasia, I use a lot for video editing. We talked about video earlier. I found that to be really easy and um, very helpful. And then the other thing I use is Hootsuite, actually, for um, we've talked about the posts that I put online, uh, keeping my Facebook group and LinkedIn profile. I schedule my posts through Hootsuite. And what is your favorite business book? Oh, there are so many. Um, <laughs> Can I you be can cheating? mention a couple. You can mention can I, a couple. Oh, you're, thank you. Uh, they are it's more coaching, really. But um, The Art of Possibility by Benjamin Zander. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. And More Time to Think by Nancy Klein. Amazing. And who inspires you in business? My husband. Well, that's a very nice answer. You're going to give him the link <laughs> to this episode now and get him to listen to it. I have to. Just to get some brownie points. But, do you know, he is. I... If I was to think about that, because he so inspires me and he's been such a huge encourager for me in my business. And yeah, I feel blessed to to be able to engage about our different businesses, but what he does in, in his world and how he is and his passion for learning and stuff is in, an inspiration to me. Which is lovely. And now we're going to have to give a link out where people can find Ed too. So everyone can be inspired by him too, right? <laughs> okay, so where can people get in touch with you, Jane? If people want to connect, you know, you've shared so much information and we could literally talk about this all day as we sometimes do. How can people connect with you? So my website, janeadsaidgrant.com. Uh, I'm on social media, so I'm on LinkedIn at janeadsaidgrant. I'm on Twitter at janeadsaidgrant. Everything's janeadsaidgrant. So Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. 
So basically just Google you. Just Google me, yeah, there. And finally, Jane, <laughs> what advice do you have for coaches listening right now that are just starting out or they're really struggling to grow their business and they're listening to you and they're thinking, well, you know, I aspire to be like Jane or they're thinking to themselves they they don't necessarily feel that they could go on to achieve what you've achieved. They're having some self-doubts, et cetera. What advice would you give to those coaches listening right now um, on, on how to keep going and, and, and grow their coaching business? So I think the first thing is we'll just remember to ask for those referrals when you're working with a client and you come to a conclude, you, know, you come to the end of your program. So don't be afraid. People naturally want to help. So remember to ask for referrals. Secondly, I'd say connect into your a local coaching group because I've just started, for example, with a with a colleague, a, a local coaching group in Chelmsford in Essex, where I live. And, you know, we had six people at our first event and it was really fun. And, you know, there are various variety of coaches new to to more experienced coaches. And we all have the similar challenges and experiences so that you're not alone because being a coach as an independent coach can be a lonely business. So find a support network of other coaches, whether that's a local group where you live or, you know, having a look at some of the resources through the International Coach Federation or the Association for Coaching. Have some fantastic groups and opportunities to get involved. And thirdly, I would say is to go to where your clients are at. So any conferences where you think your ideal clients will hang out and, you know, go to enjoy the event and, you know, remember to be social and remember to, you know, make a connection and, you know, begin a relationship with someone that you uh, connect with at that event and then nurture that relationship as it comes to for them to begin and want to work with you in the future. Well, Jane, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're extremely busy, especially today. So we've had to, we've literally had to jump on here at like 8am just to get this interview down. Thank you very much. Congratulations again on becoming a master coach. I wish you all the very best and I look forward to getting you back on the podcast in the future. Thanks so much, David. It's a pleasure. Well, there we go, guys. I hope that you found value in today's episode with master coach Jane Adsed Grant. I really enjoyed speaking to Jane. It was a slightly longer episode than planned because the conversation just kept rolling on. So I thought rather than uh, trim it down for the sake of trimming it down, I'll leave all the audio in for us to enjoy. And then you'll probably want to go back and re-listen to some of it at some stage as well. But thanks again to Jane. Um, And if you are enjoying the podcast so far, guys, you want me to keep them coming for you then please i can't stress enough just leave me an honest review over on itunes it really does make all of the difference so that's today's episode done go back and listen again if you want to and from a very warm uk i wish you and your coaching business all the very best and i'll see you again next time take care